Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is Acts, the eighth chapter, where my Bible is opened up. Acts chapter eight. And if you will turn there in your Bible, things will be made very easy for you this morning because we'll just be right there in Acts chapter eight for the entirety of the lesson. Let's all be looking in the Bible and be ready to study together for these next few minutes. It is great to see everybody this beautiful first day of the week. I am so glad that you chose to be here this morning to glorify God and to edify the people who are around you. The vacation bug has certainly hit our number because we do have just a bunch of folks who are out, but you really couldn't tell it. If you're a visitor here today, you might be thinking we got pretty much close to what seems like a full house, and that's because we do have lots of guests with us, and we appreciate so much your attendance today, your uh, encouragement to us, and we uh, are thankful that you are here. I do want to say Happy Father's Day to all of my fellow uh, Padres in attendance. Glad to have this, uh, if, if, not, if not at any other time, certainly an annual reminder of what a blessing good fathers are, and certainly if you are a father, the great responsibility that we have to lead our families and to do that Ephesians 6 verse 4 thing. And in fact, this evening, if I should be back tonight at 6 o'clock, our brother Kane Atkinson will actually be preaching a very unconventional Father's Day sermon. He's going to talk about probably one of the worst fathers in the Bible. You come back tonight and hear all about that. Right now, though, it's Acts the 8th chapter. We're going to rip off a long reading here, several verses. Read with me, if you will, in Acts chapter 8. Beginning in verse 26, it's there the Bible tells us, Acts 8, 26, that the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a cork official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And so he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? His life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said to him, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. I think most of us who are Christians would say that this pretty much is our dream scenario, isn't it? We would love to have the kind of encounter that Philip had with this Ethiopian man out in the desert. We try for that. We kind of work toward that. We, we pray for that and hope for that. Where maybe we're going to meet somebody and we strike up a conversation about spiritual things. And so we start talking about Scripture. We start talking about Jesus. And the next thing you know, that conversation's getting longer and it's getting deeper. And before you know it, bang! We're standing in a baptistry full of water and we're baptizing someone into Christ. We would love 
for that to happen to us. But the truth of the matter is, that doesn't seem to happen an awful lot, does it? Why not? Why doesn't that happen more often? Why can't I find me an Ethiopian guy so that I can do this stuff that Acts chapter 8 is talking about? Again, we pray for evangelistic opportunities. We offer to have Bible studies with folks. We invite people to come to church with us. We're trying to talk to people about the Lord. Why can't I get these kinds of results? Well, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that because of just the the blindingly fast success that Philip enjoys here in Acts chapter 8, I think sometimes what happens is, is we end up just kind of overlooking or we just miss entirely the various barriers and roadblocks that could have prevented this Ethiopian man from ever reaching the water. We get down to verse 38. We're quick to jump down to verse 38. And we get all excited about this man being baptized. That's awesome. But we fail to notice how Philip had to work through He had to work through some of the kinds of common problems and some of the common sticking points that often hinder people from obeying the gospel even this present day. Did you notice those things in the text? In fact, maybe you didn't notice them because they weren't there. Philip worked through them so seamlessly. But this morning, I do want to highlight some of those barriers to the baptistry. And my purpose this morning is really twofold in nature. First and foremost, if you have never done what that Ethiopian man did in Acts the 8th chapter by being baptized into Christ Jesus for the remission of your sins, then I want you this morning to get a very up-close and personal look at how this works and what's going on here, how to respond to the gospel, why a person ought to do that, why a person needs to do that. And if you have some hang-ups as we talk about these things today, I hope maybe we can try to work to push through those hang-ups so that you, so that you can find yourself in, in verse 38 as well. But then secondly this morning, I want to help all the rest of us who have been baptized, who are Christians, and we're trying to do the Philip thing here. I want to help us to be a little bit more effective in our evangelistic efforts, our efforts to make people disciples. Because there are several places in this text where things just could have went completely off the rails. There are places in this text where things could have just got really sticky and really gommed up, but but it didn't. And I want us to watch and observe Philip. I want us to learn from him. I want us to see how he handles all of that so that we can follow after his good example as we try to influence and as we try to lead others to Christ. We try to lead them to that moment of decision where we can then find ourselves with them in the waters of baptism. Let me set before you this morning three common barriers that must absolutely be broken down, demolished and destroyed if we're ever going to help people to reach the water. And that all would begin back up in about verse 28. Because there the text says that the Ethiopian man was seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Where does Christianity start? Christianity starts in the Bible. It starts in the Scriptures. 
Sometimes it starts in the Old Testament like it did for this guy. He's reading in Isaiah 53. Maybe a person is reading in some of those messianic prophecies. Sometimes it starts in the New Testament where a person is reading about the very life and the words of Jesus as depicted and illustrated for us in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sometimes it starts in the book of Acts where we're seeing how people responded to the message of the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. What did they do in response to that? Maybe sometimes it starts in those epistles, those letters that were sent to Christians and to churches where we're learning some things about doctrine, about the specific teachings of being a follower of Jesus Christ. You certainly don't have to have a Ph.D. in order to get all of that stuff, but there is no doubt whatsoever that Christianity begins with reading and learning and understanding the Word of God. And I think that is exactly why some people never make it to the water. That is why some people never become Christians is because they're just not doing that. They're not reading and studying and learning and understanding the Scriptures. Now before somebody quickly jumps to the conclusion, ah, yes, see, there you go, Josh. That's exactly the reason why I can't ever seem to get anybody to be interested in the Lord. It's because people don't care about the Bible. People these days not reading the Bible, don't care about the Bible. I try to offer the Bible to folks, but folks just don't seem to care about that. I would caution you about that kind of excuse making. Recent study found, this is from the Barna Group. The Barna Group is one of those religious uh, evangelical survey organizations. So they're just surveying folks all across America about religious things and about the Bible. And in the recent survey, this is the 2018 survey about Americans' level of engagement with the Bible. They found that a full 48% of Americans read something from the Bible, not counting in a worship service, but talking about just in their personal life, 48% of Americans read something from the Bible at least, at least once a month. Now, if you lived in previous decades and in previous generations, you probably would recognize that those numbers are a little bit down, and that's kind of, that's kind of disappointing. But actually, I'd like to flip that, and I'd like for us to think about that in the positive sense. What that means is that means that half of the people, half of the people that you meet and you encounter on a day-to-day basis, they will show some level of interest in the Bible this month. Now, I don't know about you, I think, I think that's good news. I think we need to be looking for those folks. We need to be finding those kinds of people. I think I want to be making it a point to be bringing up the Bible more often in my daily conversations with folks. I want to be making sure that I try to share with folks maybe some of the things that I'm doing in my own daily Bible reading. You are reading your Bible, aren't you? We want to capitalize on the interest that people, yes, they still have in the Scriptures. Because when we do that, that is going to bring us to that first barrier that often prevents people from becoming a Christian. Because while it is wonderful and great that people do show an interest in reading and knowing something about the Bible, like the Ethiopian man did, the problem that often accompanies that is this thinking that the Bible really can't be understood, and more specifically, the Bible cannot be understood alike. Over and over again today, we hear things along the lines of, well, well, that's just your interpretation. You know, that, that, that's what you think that passage says. You know, you have your way of understanding the Scriptures, and I have my way of understanding the Scriptures, and they're both equally valid. You know, that's your opinion about that, and this is my opinion about that. 
And of course, if the Bible is merely just a matter of, of opinions, your opinions and my opinions, well then who's ever going to want to debate or study or discuss on any kind of substantive level anything that the Bible might address? You know, I must tell you this morning, I have some very strong opinions about the instant replay rule in college basketball. I have strong opinions about men who wear skinny jeans. I have strong opinions about why Lee's famous recipe is the greatest chicken on the face of the earth. I have very strong views about those sorts of things. But none of those things are matters of truth and error. None of those things are matters of right and wrong. Well, except the skinny jeans thing. But that, of course, those things are just my opinions. Those things are just my think-sos. Was that all the Bible is? Is that all the Bible is to people? Just a collection of people's think-sos? People's ideas and opinions? People are being told that constantly. You know, I read the Bible, and I see it the way that I want to see it. I get out of it what I want. You read the Bible, you get out of it what you want to get out of it, and it's all just kind of the same. It's all on an equal playing field. It's all equally valid. We as the people of God need to be ready to confront that line of thinking. Because that approach to the Scriptures makes the Bible functionally useless. How can the Bible be what it claims to be? How can the Bible be a book that comes from God, ready to equip us for every good work, able to teach us, to admonish us, to correct us, to reprove us? It is able to reveal to us the very mind of the Creator. How can the Bible be all that it says it is if all the Bible is is just a bunch of your opinions and my opinions? We need to be ready to help folks see that it is much more than that. We need to be ready to assert that the Scriptures, that it is the very Word of God, that it transcends our own personal ideas and our own personal biases, because it is rooted in historical fact, and more importantly, it is rooted in objective truth. The Gospel is not open to subjective interpretation where you can just kind of treat it like a lump of Play-Doh or clay, and you just kind of mold it and fix it into whatever it is that you want it to be. No, it is God's Word. And that is why it is absolutely incumbent upon us to listen carefully so that we can hear what God is saying. And you know what? That's exactly what Philip does in Acts the 8th chapter. Look at verse 30 again. Verse 30, Philip says to that man, He says, do you understand what you are reading? The implication there is what? The implication there is that there is a right way to understand that passage. And there is a wrong way to understand that passage. And what Philip is asking is, he's asking the man, Hey, can I help you to understand the truth of that great text? Look at verse 34, it doesn't even stop there. Verse 34, the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and his answer was not, Well, I'll tell you, buddy. Some people say that maybe it's this guy. And other folks say maybe it's this guy. I tell you, I'm kind of persuaded that I think maybe it's talking about Jesus of Nazareth. But you know what? If you think it's somebody else, that's okay for you. Everybody has the right to their own truth. That is not what Philip says. What Philip says, verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth 
And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip says, there is a right answer to your question. And I want to tell you about it. I want to talk to you about Jesus the Christ. Philip found himself a guy who was reading the Bible, a guy who was interested in the Bible, and what Philip did is he fed that interest with objective truth. He did not let that Ethiopian man believe, well, you know, it's just all a matter of personal interpretation, however it is that maybe you see that passage. You just you just take it however you want. No. The moment Philip does that is the moment that he allows a huge barrier to be built and to remain there. And as a result, it's going to provide a huge barrier between that Ethiopian man and his salvation. I'm thankful to God that Philip was ready to jump in there and to knock that barrier down by saying, Hey, friend, this is the truth of God's Word, and you need to hear it, you need to accept it, you need to believe it, and you and I, we're going to need that same level of courage and conviction even in our dealings today. Let me show you something else, secondly, that can be a barrier for folks. Look back up in the text in verse 27. In verse 27, there the text says that Philip arose and he went. And there was this Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. I want to say something here from that passage about people's religious beliefs. Because one of the things that is often a huge barrier for folks is whenever folks are determined to hold on to their religious beliefs. Uh, You and I really need to appreciate and be impressed with just how religious this Ethiopian man was. Yes, it's true. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. That's good. And yes, on the ride home, he's reading from the Scriptures. That's good. And we kind of make those points and say, yeah, seems like a pretty religious fellow. Well... Listen, let's really think about this. Please do not imagine that this Ethiopian man, he kind of got up early on Sunday morning and swung by Starbucks and grabbed a coffee and a sweet roll and then headed on over to the church building in order to worship there with the saints in Jerusalem. No. This man from Ethiopia, he traveled all the way to Jerusalem. Do you know how far that is? This man traveled 1,500 miles to go to this place to worship God. That means that he had taken time off from work, that he had potentially left his family, and he had undertaken this long and arduous and difficult journey just to be there. You know, what would we think if somebody came into our assembly this morning and we said, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, where are you from? And somebody says, oh, I'm, I'm from Wyoming. Wow, Wyoming. How long did it take you to fly over here? Oh, I didn't fly. I rode in my chariot. took me four weeks to get here, but I'm glad to be here today. We would think, wow, that is some serious driving. That takes some serious commitment. And we need to understand that about this fellow. This Ethiopian man, he wasn't just sort of religious. This man was deeply religious. Obviously, he was a proselyte to the Jewish faith, but he's not just some kind of marginal Jew, no. He is a deeply devoted Jew. He is fully invested in Judaism. He is willing to go to great lengths and to great expense to himself in order to practice his religion. And that ought to impress us. Because sometimes, sometimes people who are fervently and deeply religious, sometimes they're not very interested 
in changing their practices or their religious beliefs. You'll hear people say things like, well, you know, this, this, is, this is what my mama taught me. My granddaddy, he started this church over here. This is just where my family has always gone. Or somebody says, you know, hey, I hear what you're saying. I appreciate the things that you've shown me there out of the Bible. But you know, I've always grown up believing this. This is just, just kind of in my roots. It's in my blood. Or maybe even worst of all, when somebody says, oh, I just, I, I, I could not do that. I could never change everybody in my family. They would just hate me. If you've ever had spiritual conversations with folks, evangelistic conversations with folks who have some kind of religious background, then chances are at some point along the way, you've heard those kinds of things. People who are more loyal to their denomination. People who are more loyal to their religious heritage. People who are more loyal to their family members. You know, I wonder sometimes that as they were traveling down that road in his chariot, I wonder that as Philip was teaching, I wonder if at any point the Ethiopian either said out loud or maybe even just said in his head, man, this is all just kind of new for me. This is all just completely different from what I've ever heard before. I mean, there's, there's some similarities, but man, there's just some things here that are, that are very different than what I grew up hearing. I wonder if maybe he thought to himself, I, I don't know what my family's going to think about this. I don't know if they're going to like me giving up Judaism and becoming a Christian. I wonder if he entertained those thoughts. We don't know exactly how long Philip and the Ethiopian man studied together that day. We don't know everything that was said during the course of that conversation. But I want to spotlight for you what I believe to be the absolute fix for this barrier of tightly held religious beliefs. You want to know what that fix is? Look again at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I want to submit to you that the answer to this whole, I, I, I just can't make a change. My parents this, my friends that, I've always believed this. I'm going to submit to you that the fix for that is that we need to keep emphasizing Jesus. Please do not think that for one moment I'm somehow going down that road of, well, we all agree about Jesus, and so what we need to do is we need to just preach the man and not preach the plan. Has no one ever noticed that by preaching the man, very quickly that Ethiopian man was asking about the plan? And so please understand this morning that there is no preaching of the man without the preaching of the plan. And you know what? That's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about is helping people to see Jesus more clearly. Helping people to understand who Jesus really and truly is. Because the trouble here with folks who keep keep wanting to go over here to Mama's church is that they are showing a loyalty to... They're showing a loyalty to Mama and not to Jesus. And the problem with folks who, well, I've just got to keep going to where I've always been, is that their loyalty is to their old habits and not to Jesus. And the problem with folks who say, you know, everybody would just hate me, everybody would be upset with me if I decided to do this, is that their loyalty is to everybody else and not to Jesus. That's the issue here. What those folks need is they need to be able to see Jesus better. They need to see that Jesus Christ, He died for them. He was crucified for them. Mama didn't die for your sins. That church that you're a part of, they didn't die for your sins. Jesus died for your sins. 
And what people need to see is that not only did Jesus die for them, but that He rose from the dead. And that then anoints Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And what that means, practically speaking, is is that I need to submit to Him. I need to obey Him no matter the price. No matter the cost. And why? Because He's Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. That's what this is all about. And I think all too often what happens is is sometimes we're talking with folks, they're talking about here's the church that I've grown up in, here's the things that we're involved in. What happens is is we kind of chase the rabbit of kind of we start kind of arguing, having this game of church one upsmanship. You know what I'm talking about? Well, you know what, okay, that I see y'all's church, yeah, y'all do some good stuff over here, but you know what? I mean, we got a great church here, we got great singing here. A lot of friendly folks here, got excellent Bible classes and teaching here. Listen, folks. When we're trying to convert people to the truth, this isn't like trying to convince somebody who drives a Ford that, hey, Chevys are better. That's not what this is. This is not like trying to persuade somebody who's holding a Pepsi, hey, you ought to stop drinking that, you ought to drink a Coca-Cola. No, this is not about personal preferences here. What this is about is about the primacy of Jesus Christ who commands our absolute loyalty and devotion to Him and to His Word. It was Jesus who said that when He come, He was going to bring a sword to family relationships. And it was Jesus who brought about a radical message that was a far cry different than what most religious thinking folks thought back in His day. And it is Jesus who says that we must want Him even more than the approval of others. Several years ago, I was in a gospel meeting in Louisville. And I met a man there in the congregation who was just a a fine Christian. But he did not grow up in a fine Christian home with fine Christian parents. He actually grew up a lot like that Ethiopian man. Because he grew up as a Jew. And he grew up with very, very Jewish parents. But somewhere in his teenage, maybe into his early 20s years, he learned the gospel. Had a friend who introduced him to the teaching of Jesus Christ. And he began to study that, began to weigh it, began to think about the truth of Jesus. And so he began to ask questions, began to ask questions to his parents, began to ask questions to the local rabbis. And he wouldn't quit asking those questions. And why? Because they weren't giving the answers that he was looking for. Until finally a moment came when he decided, I can't fight this any longer. And he did exactly what that Ethiopian man did. He was baptized into Christ. At which point, his parents held a funeral. Literally. Casket and all. For their son, who was now unto them, dead. Everything about his family and his family relationships were turned upside down. All of that was broken and torn asunder. But you know what? That man did not run back to his family. That man did not return back to the safety and the comfort of Judaism. That man placed his faith in Jesus Christ, who he realized trumps all of that. And today that brother serves as a shepherd for the people of God in that local congregation. And He serves for me as a shining example of exactly what it means to be willing to let go of those past beliefs and those past convictions all in order to obey King Jesus. 
Folks who keep clinging to what mama and daddy believe. Folks who cling to what grandpa said. Folks who cling to, well, this is where I've always went to church. They need to value Jesus more in order to push through that barrier. And you and I need to put the emphasis on Jesus. Now right about now, what some of us might be thinking is we might be thinking, well, Josh, you know, I've, I've tried to do that. I've always tried to just assert the truth of God's Word in my conversations with folks. And I have emphasized the priority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. But you know what? My friend, my loved one, my coworker, my neighbor, they're, they're still not a Christian. You know, we've been able to even push through a little bit some of those first couple of barriers there. I know that they believe. I know they have some conviction working in them, but they're still sitting on go. They haven't yet made a move toward the water. And you know what? That does introduce us to this third big barrier. This might actually be the barrier that I think hinders probably most of the people that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. And that is that at the end of the day, many folks, many folks are just unwilling to commit themselves to Jesus Christ. And that is why this morning I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you and tell you that if you say everything that Philip said, and if you do everything exactly the way that Philip did it, that that's always going to result in an amazing baptism like it did here in Acts chapter 8. Because some folks, yeah, they can be brought all the way. They can be brought all the way to the edge of the baptistry. And yet they're not going to be ready to make the commitment that serving Jesus Christ calls for. And that is disappointing. And unfortunately, that can be discouraging for us. But I think that's what makes verses 36, 37, and 38 so important. So look at verse 36 again. Verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, no, no, it's not Philip who said this, the eunuch said, see, here's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He said, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This, this is what baptism is all about. It is the defining mark that you are a Christian. It is that line in the sand, if you will, that you end up crossing over. And it is a decision that you come to. Individually, you make that choice. This cannot ever be some sort of, well, you know, I think maybe sort of I'm a Christian. I think probably at some point in my life I did that. No, there's, there's none of that in the Bible. No one has ever been accidentally baptized. No, it's a conscious choice that a person makes for themselves. You express your desire to do that. You say, hey, I want that. Can I do that? When can I do that? Is there anything that's stopping me from doing that? What's keeping me from doing that right now? I want to be a Christian. That's what baptism is about. It is that mark of commitment to Jesus Christ. According to Romans chapter 6, it is the moment where we go into the water as a dead person and we come up out of that water something entirely new. We are alive in Christ. And so ultimately the question becomes, either you have been baptized and you are a Christian, or you have not been baptized and you are not a Christian. And so somebody says, okay, I've I've laid all that out to folks. I've made all that as simple as I can, laid out the truth about Jesus, laid out the teaching of Scripture about how salvation is accessed and granted. How do you get somebody to commit 
That's the hang-up. How do you get somebody to be fully invested and jump right in there with both feet? You know, I've read here in Acts chapter 8, and I can't find in there exactly how Philip got that commitment out of the Ethiopian man. Show me something in there as to what he did. And you know what? There's not anything in Acts chapter 8 about something that Philip did. There's nothing in the text about how Philip manipulated the Ethiopian man. There's nothing in there about pressuring that man. There's nothing in there about some sort of of tactic where, you know, you get the person not. You've heard the thing before about if you get somebody to agree and say yes three times, eventually the fourth time they're going to say yes as well. It's at TJ Maxx a few weeks ago buying a shirt. This was on Wednesday evening. It was before services. And the girl at the checkout said, hey, would you like to save 20% on your purchase? Would you like to earn TJ Maxx rewards? Would you like to get emails about discounts and all this sort of stuff? I'm saying, yes, 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 that all sounds great. She said, okay, well, let's get you signed up for a TJ Maxx credit card. I said, no, give me my receipt. I need to go to church. I've got to teach Bible class tonight. Not interested in any of that. See, how she kind of played me a little bit there. And you know what? There's none of that coercive kinds of gamesmanship going on here in Acts chapter 8. There's no hype. There's no arm twisting going on. What Philip knew, and what you and I need to know, is that every person must come to that decision on their own. I must choose to serve Jesus Christ. And that gets all messed up whenever we get to a point where we're essentially pushing people to get into the water. You know, someday I want to ask Philip, Philip, how many water holes did you guys pass in that desert before finally that Ethiopian man said, Stop. Stop right here. There. Right there. I need to get in that water. We're doing it. We're being baptized right now. I wonder how many they passed. What I am so impressed though, is that Philip all along the way, he just kept doing point number one and point number two. He just kept stressing the truth of Scripture. Kept stressing the primacy of Jesus Christ until that Ethiopian man in his time was ready to make that commitment in the waters of baptism. And you and I, we're going to need the exact same patience to do that very thing. When folks will not commit to Jesus in the waters of baptism as much as we want them to, that is a huge barrier to them. It's a huge barrier to their salvation. But you know what? We're just going to have to wait. We are. We're just going to have to wait until they are ready to start serving the Lord. We just need to keep, just keep shoveling Scripture in there. We need to just keep pushing the idea of Jesus and His Lordship. We need to be praying, certainly, that God is going to be long-suffering, that God will be patient and that this precious soul, that they will act before it is eternally too late. You know, you and I, we may never find ourselves in this exact same kind of dream scenario that Philip found himself in, sitting in a chariot on that fateful day out in the desert. But by looking at this text and paying close attention to what went right, and maybe even paying close attention to what could have went wrong, I think we get a pretty good idea of what we need to be doing in order to help people to come to that moment of decision and obeying the gospel. And if you are here this morning, and maybe you are hung up, maybe at either of those first two barriers, I sure would wish that you would grab me after services, or you would grab one of the other members of this congregation, and let's sit down and talk. Let's see what we can do to push through 
some of those things. If there's some things about Scripture that's hanging you up, let's work on that. If there's something about submitting to Jesus that's hanging you up, let's work on that. Let's work and get those roadblocks out of the way. But maybe, and I'm going to guess that this is probably the case for most of the folks in this audience this morning. Maybe it's not so much an issue of understanding the Scripture, the truth of that. Maybe it's not an issue of recognizing the Lordship of Jesus, but instead, maybe it's this third barrier. Maybe it's this commitment thing. And make no mistake about it, being united with Christ in baptism, it is the beginning of the single greatest and most important commitment that a person can ever make. It is all-encompassing. It is all-consuming. It is demanding. And yes, even at times, it can be challenging. But I'm going to tell you this. It is also the best thing you will ever do. And so in just a moment, we're going to stand. And we're going to sing a song of encouragement. And that really is just another opportunity for us to stress some biblical truth and for us to stress the importance of serving Jesus. While God and while we as His family We are eagerly awaiting for you to accept His wonderful invitation. There is indeed a baptistry right behind that curtain. And this moment is being offered to you to say what the Ethiopian man said. That see, right here, right here's some water. What is hindering me from being baptized today? We can help you to make that great commitment. Or maybe we can help you this morning if you are a Christian. And somehow, some way, along the way, you have faltered in that commitment to the Lord. You've not been serving Him as you ought. Then this is an invitation for you as well. If we can help you to serve Jesus the Christ and commit yourself to Him fully, then this invitation is for you. Take advantage of it by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.